This Thursday, the U.S. Supreme Court will hear arguments on whether Donald Trump can be removed from state ballots this November. It's shaping up to be the biggest election case since Bush v. Gore. So who better to talk to than Jeffrey Tubin, the man who wrote the seminal book about Bush v. Gore, Too Close to Call. Knowing Jeffrey as I do, I suspect there will also be a book about this drama, too, when it's all over. Jeffrey Tubin, good to have you back on the program. How are you today, sir? I'm great, Tavis. Hi. It's good to have a lot you. Of, lot of legal news. You got a lot of legal news today. I don't know if you if if you saw what of happened course. in the DC Circuit today. <laughs> okay, did, I just it's we we got plenty to talk. About. Did, did I see? I've got about sixty seconds here. I'll let you top line. I was going to start there. We'll we'll talk about Thursday, but let's talk about Tuesday. There is major major breaking news. I got sixty seconds. You know how to do this. Tee it up, Jeffrey. We'll continue when we come forward. What just happened today? Um, the D.C. Circuit, the Intermediate Appeals Court, said that Donald Trump can be prosecuted for crimes he committed while he was president. Uh, the short answer is no one is above the law. Mm. So uh, Trump has no immunity, no immunity from Correct. prosecution to January 6th. That means the January 6th case, the, the case in federal court that accuses him of um, using fake electors to try to uh, get get win win the 2020 election mm -hmm. that case can proceed however that decision from today will certainly be appealed to the supreme court and obviously we'll see if they take the case and what happens there there's a lot to talk about donald trump we now know according to this uh, fellow appeals court has no immunity from january 6th prosecution and that's uh, uh that's just today tuesday on thursday as i mentioned uh we will see uh what the arguments are in this case about whether or not he uh, can be kicked off of ballots in certain states a lot of news and uh, jeffrey tubin is the right guy to have on today how lucky am i you're listening to tavis smiley Agency Dignity. This is Tavis Smiley. Can you dig it? Come on! Ready to re-examine your assumptions and expand your inventory, of ideas? Your inventory of ideas? More of Tavis Smiley coming your way right now. More of Tavis Smiley and Jeffrey Tubin coming your way right now for the rest of this hour. So, Jeffrey, um, this is breaking news. Um, I guess the, 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 the first question I have for you is whether or not you, as a legal scholar, are surprised by this ruling? N not at all. I mean, uh, unlike the case that we're going to talk about on Thursday, this one strikes me as, as, as really an easy one, and I would have been shocked if it came out another way. Um, you know, sometimes when a judge asks a question, an oral argument, it crystallizes an issue so well that you just know how the issue is, is, is going is, is to come out. And in the argument of this case, um, one of the judges, Florence Pan, asked Trump's lawyer and said, do you mean to tell me that if Donald Trump as president um, used team, uh, uh, SEAL Team 6 from the Navy to assassinate one of his political opponents, he couldn't be prosecuted for a crime? And, the, you know, the lawyer sort of bumbled around. But, I mean, it is so obvious that we can't give presidents absolute immunity for anything they might do as president. Now, obviously, this doesn't mean that Trump will be convicted mm -hmm. when this case ultimately comes to trial. But the idea that just by being president, you are literally above the law and can't be prosecuted is, I think, a really offensive idea to you know our system. 
And and so I, I was not surprised that this case came out the way it did. In case you've just tuned in, there's breaking news that Donald Trump has no immunity from the January 6th prosecution. And so, uh, as Jeffrey Tubin said earlier, it's obviously going to be appealed. It's an appellate court. It will be appealed. We'll see if the Supreme Court will take it. Uh, we'll talk more about that in a moment. Uh, my next question, Jeffrey, is whether or not this decision, this case, the arguments in this case, uh, tell us anything more about where we, in fact, do draw the line over what former presidents can be prosecuted for. You know, that, that's a good question, Tavis. I don't really think it tells you that much, um, unlike the other case we're going to talk about, mm-hmm. uh, because all this case says is that presidents can be prosecuted for crimes. But it doesn't really say much about which crimes or 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 what or exactly what um, the the case might be. I mean, mm-hmm. Trump's claim in this case was so incredibly broad, so so counter to our ideas of of equality under the law that all the court really had to do in this case was say, "Look, if you commit a crime when you're when you're president." you can be prosecuted. That's an idea that, frankly, everyone uh, that I'm aware of had already taken for granted. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when Trump was impeached uh, twice um, w- while he was president, one of, the, one of the issues that frequently came up is, could a sitting president be indicted? And, and the Justice Department has a policy. It's not a law. It's a policy that the Justice Department says, we do not indict sitting presidents. We wait until they leave office. Mm-hmm. But the implicit, uh, what that idea meant was that, of course, they could be prosecuted afterwards. Mm-hmm. And that's all the Justice Department, and uh, that's all the court decided today is, yes, they can be prosecuted uh, after they leave office, this is getting really fascinating for me. So let me let me let me keep down this line of uh, questioning, if if I can. I'm, I'm going to play a I'm going to play an attorney on the radio, if I can, for just a moment, to Jeffrey Tubin, and stay with this line of questioning. So <clears throat> we, we all know, to your point, that the D, the DOJ has, and I love how you frame this, uh, and it's it's right on point. It is a policy. It is not a law. The Department of Justice has a policy that we do not prosecute prosecute sitting presidents. If Donald Trump is elected. Re-elected. You know where I'm going already, don't you? If he's re-elected, sure, yeah. he's already made so many public pronouncements about what he intends to do as president, including, uh, in, including rather, weaponizing the Department of Justice against wh- who, uh, what would then be former President Joe Biden if Donald Trump can pull this off. My point is this. If Donald Trump is elected, I can tell you 10 things right now he's already said that would be crimes. That would be certainly uh, in, in, in the criminal basket. So if the Department of Justice's policy heretofore is that we don't prosecute sitting presidents and Donald Trump gets in and does just half of the stuff that we think he might do, how is that policy going to hold up in a future Trump presidency? Does that make sense? I, I, it, it, it makes sense as a question. Um, what, what, and I think it has a very straightforward answer. Remember, the president of the United States is the head of the Justice Department. Mm-hmm. He appoints the attorney general. He can simply say, I direct you, attorney general, and all of your subordinates, don't prosecute me. In addition, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and, and, and I have every reason to believe that's exactly what he'll say. But even more dramatic, even more dramatic, Tavis, is if, if Trump is, is elected, um, in you know, in November, becomes president next January. It's very likely that the two federal cases against him, 
the one in Florida about um, uh, classified information, misuse of classified information, and and the January 6th case in Washington, they may be still be, be, be pending. He can simply say to his attorney general, and he has more or less said this is what he's going to do, dismiss these cases. These are bad cases. I don't think they should be prosecuted. And as president, as the person in charge of the Justice Department, he can do that. So when it, Donald Trump is running to give himself a get-out-of-jail-free card, I mean, I, I think that's what really people need to focus on, is that if he wins, he can make sure he is not prosecuted for anything he did before or after he was president uh, of the United States. Okay, something, I'm not naive, uh, but I'm, I'm going to stay with this. I'm not naive in asking this or, or commenting this way, but something about that, frame, Jeffrey Tubin sounds anti-democratic and un-American to me. Here's my point. What you're telling me is, you legal scholar, you, that if Donald Trump were to be elected, he could do pretty much anything and then instruct the Department of Justice to not prosecute him and the American people have no recourse. That sounds like a dictatorship, not a democracy. Uh, Tavis, that is exactly what I am saying. And that is why um, it, it is a perilous um, situation to have him in charge of the Justice Department. I mean, he has said, for example, I will be a dictator for a day, but then I'll then I'll follow the laws. I mean, as usual with Trump, it's hard to tell how much he's joking and how mm-hmm. much um, he's serious. But, um, you know, th- we have never encountered a situation anything like this. The closest we have done is, um, you know, you're a young man, Tavis, so you don't remember this, but <laughs> in, 1970, in 1974, you know, Richard Nixon resigned. Gerald Ford took over as president. He then issued a presidential pardon to Richard Nixon, saying he could not be prosecuted for anything he did as, as president. However, that pardon presupposed that the Justice Department had the right to prosecute a former president for things that he did. It presupposed there was no immunity. So um, what what Trump argued to the Court of Appeals in this case was a kind of immunity that most people thought it wasn't even conceivable that any any president had. Mm. I'm going to push toward Thursday, I promise. I'm glad I got you for the full hour. We'll get to Thursday in a moment here. Let let me just ask, let me just back up for a second, though, before we get to Thursday and maybe talk a bit more about today, Tuesday, and this breaking news in case you've just tuned in, that Donald Trump has no immunity. A federal appeals court has ruled that he has no immunity from prosecution for the January 6th uh, uh, insurrection and his role in that. Uh, We're talking with Jeffrey Tubin, a brilliant legal scholar. We'll get in a moment to Thursday uh, when the Supreme Court will hear uh, arguments on whether or not he can be kicked off of these state ballots. As you know, there are a number of states that have made different decisions about whether he should or should not be on the ballot. The Supreme Court hearing oral arguments about that on Thursday. So the Supreme Court is in play uh, on a variety of levels, and that's where I want to go now, Jeffrey. I want to back up for a second and ask a kind of broad philosophical question i was there's there's some reporter for a political whose name escapes me at the moment who's writing a book about bush v gore uh and i sat with him for a while a few weeks ago and gave him my perspective specifically about uh the recount and florida and the mistake that i think al gore made 
not recounting, uh, not fighting to recount votes in certain places, including Broward County, of course, where there were a number of African-American votes that I think might have made the difference. You will recall you wrote the book. Al Gore told Jesse Jackson to stay out of Florida. He did not want race or anybody black a connected to that particular moment contrast that with joe biden who's wrapping himself in black folk that's the point essentially i've made this reporter you can we can discuss that later on but the point is i want to go back to bush v gore because you wrote again the seminal book about bush v gore called too close to call and my broad question is talk to me about the role that the supreme court plays in these kinds of matters, I mean, these are matters of democracy. These are matters uh, that concern who might be on the ballot and who will be president. Uh, and as, as I said at the top of this conversation, this this moment right now is shaping up to be, you know, baby Bush v. Gore or Bush v. Gore too, as I see it. But I, I'll shut up. Just talk to me broadly about the role the Supreme Court plays in matters of this importance. Well, you know, um, th- th- this goes back really to the 18th century, where um, Chief Justice John Marshall, in in um, in a case called Marbury versus Madison, basically said the Supreme Court is the last word in American political life and legal life. Is that you know somebody has to make um, these final judgments, and um, we have um, evolved as as a system where um we we expect that that the supreme court has the last word now um uh, that doesn't mean that we all agree with it but um these critical issues um uh, like like bush v gore and like you know who's whether a president is it can be indicted and, and whether a president um can can be on the ballot they wind up in the supreme court and that is why uh, among so many other reasons uh, why the Supreme Court is so important. And, um, you know, I, I have made a career of agreeing and often disagreeing with the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. But one thing I've always known is they have the last word on these issues. Mm-hmm. And um, that will be true in these election cases in um, 2024, just as it was um, in the election of 2020. One could argue that that, uh, that the court uh, back then, which we gore, was politicized in its maneuverings, in its ultimate decision. One could argue that. Many have, as you well know. But there's no question about the fact that this court uh, that will hear these Trump matters uh, is more politicized than any court, certainly in my lifetime, maybe uh, ever. Um, Your thoughts about that, that a court that is clearly politicized is now getting involved in making a what is a political decision? Well, and, and, um, you know, I, I, I am a believer that the Supreme Court has always been politicized to one one degree or another. You mm-hmm. know, the, these justices do not live in some sealed-off vacuum apart from politics. But, you know, let's start with the fact that uh, three of the nine justices uh, were appointed to the Supreme Court by by uh, by uh, Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, they, they, owe, they owe their seats to him. Um, this is also a court that is far more conservative than it has ever been, uh, certainly in, in our lifetime. I mean, this is the court um, that ended affirmative action, uh, declared uh, any sort of racial preferences illegal mm-hmm. um, a year ago. This is the court that said um, that women's right to, to abortion uh, can be taken away by state legislatures, and it now has been taken away by about a third of the state legislatures. These are very dramatic steps 
um, and and very different from previous Supreme Courts. But um, that is how how the court has evolved. This is why it was so important that Donald Trump got those three appointments to the court because they it really did change the political um, um, uh, balance on the court. Uh, but uh, this is the court we have, and um, th- there there is no appeal after the Supreme Court. Mm. You mentioned affirmative action, and before I lose you at the top of the hour, I'm glad I got another half hour in front of me, but before I lose you, I want to ask you uh, about affirmative action, specifically this uh, decision the other day uh, by this same Supreme Court that uh, refused to block use of race in West Point admissions. Now, we know they've wiped out affirmative action in higher education, but they refused to block the use of race in West Point admissions. You know what that means, don't you? That you can pick a Negro to go to, to be in the military and fight for the country and die. You can use race for that, but you can't use race in admissions. We'll talk about that with Jeffrey Tubin before I, before I lose him at the top of the hour. Jeffrey, in the, 60, in the 60 seconds I have now, and we'll talk about Thursday when we come forward, but with regard to Tuesday, today, and the decision, the breaking news decision, that he does not have immunity from the January 6th prosecution, what would be your gut about whether or not the Supreme Court will take this case, and if they do, what's your gut about how they will rule on that part before we get to Thursday? Um, I think, um, they will take the case. Okay. Uh, I think it, it is too important, and um, boy, it's 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 a tough one. I mean, I, I I you know what I think the court should do and what the court does are often two very different things. Mm-hmm. I think Trump's claim is so wildly different from all of the traditions that we have come to understand in American law. I actually think there will be at least five votes to say the president does not have immunity wow. and the, the Washington, the, the, the January 6th case can proceed. Okay. But that also may take quite a that may take a number of months, months that may make it almost impossible to, to have this trial before the election. That's a sep- the timing issue is separate <laughs> from the from the merits. Yeah. But but, you know, they, they uh, one of the things you learn as a lawyer is that the procedure and timing is often as important as the substance, and that could be very well true here. Yeah, and if you're a conservative member of the court and you really don't want to rule on this uh, in the moment uh, and get yourself in trouble with the American public, you just kick it down the road uh, until after he gets reelected were that to happen. I digress for now. Our guest is Jeffrey Tubin. There's breaking news about Donald Trump not having immunity uh, from this uh, breaking news out of this fellow appellate court today, but we ain't got to Thursday yet when they're going to hear arguments about whether or not he can be kicked off of certain state ballots. Our guest, again, is Jeffrey Tubin, and I'm glad about it. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. What's your quarrel with the world? You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Who do you trust to get at the truth? Tavis Smiley. Smiley. That's who. The conversation continues right now. Sometimes you have the luck of the draw, and I had the luck of the draw today because um, who knew uh, that the uh, uh, appellate court would make a major decision today on the day that I just happened to have Jeffrey Tubin booked in this first hour. So I'm feeling very, very fortunate, very, very blessed uh, in this hour to have uh, one of the nation's preeminent legal scholars. Uh, he wrote the seminal book about Bush v. Gore, Too Close to Call. Of course, he has a litany of New York Times bestsellers. Um, you know Jeffrey Tubin, and you've all been uh, uh, subject to his uh, his brilliance when it comes to these legal matters. So I'm just lucky to have him as our guest in this hour because the news broke a little bit ago, in case you've just tuned in, that the uh, the uh, fellow Pillars Court uh, uh, has announced uh, uh, this, their decision uh, regarding Donald Trump and this issue of immunity. So we now know that he does not, according to the appellate court, does not have immunity 
from January 6th prosecution. You heard Jeffrey Tubin say earlier um, that he expects that the Supreme Court uh, will take this. Clearly, the, the Trump people are going to appeal. Uh, Jeffrey Tubin expects that the Supreme Court will take it. Uh, and he went out on a limb and says he believes there may be a fifth vote. There may be uh, five votes uh, for uh, to uphold this decision that he does not, in fact, have immunity from January 6th prosecution. One final question about that, Jeffrey. Why are you, I won't say confident, but why are you leaning in the direction that there'll be five votes to, to help uphold this decision? Um, Tavis, I'm going to, I'm going to answer you by saying simply because it's the right decision. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, we do still live in a country where no one is supposed to be above the law. We don't create categories of people who can't be prosecuted no matter what they do. I mean, it's, it, it, the idea is so offensive, um, that I, I, most people hadn't had the gall even to raise it until recently. But you do realize, Jeffrey, so, as, not to cut you off, as you're speaking, you do realize, uh, I want you to hear yourself talking, you do realize there are a number, a number of decisions they've made of late, this court, in the last couple of terms, that people find just as offensive. How could they do this? We are discussed. It is a very politicized court. So I, I, I hope you're right. I want you to be right. But I would not be surprised given how politicized this court is. You made the point. Three of the justices were appointed by Donald Trump. So your, 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 your argument is it's just the right thing to do. Well, there are a number of other cases on which it was the right thing to do and they didn't do the right thing. That, that, and that's why I hesitated before <laughs> answering. But, but at some point, um, you know, so, some cases are easier than others. Yeah. And this case strikes me as, as, as very easy. Okay. I mean, this is something that has just never been even argued before that I'm aware of, that presidents have this kind of immunity. So um, unlike some of those other decisions we've talked about, you know, which had been subject of continuing legal controversy for many years. This was not one that was the subject of controversy. This one was sort of taken for granted. But, you know, I grant you, Tavis, that, that I, I, you know, that I may be wrong and the court will, will surprise me here. But, but this, is not, uh, this is not a close call, this case. I think, even for conservatives on the court. Fair enough. But we shall see. We shall see. Um, I want that's, that's the breaking news today, Tuesday. I want to push to Thursday, the Supreme Court hearing arguments about whether or not Trump can be kicked off these state ballots. Before I push to Thursday uh, and go forward, let me go back for just a second because Jeffrey Tubin mentioned affirmative action, and I'm so glad he did it. My ears just perked up because I've been dying to ask Jeffrey Tubin about this. Uh, many of you saw days ago the Supreme Court uh, refused uh, to block the use of race in West Point admissions. And my simple read of that is after having wiped out affirmative action in college admissions, they refuse um, to uh, to deny the use of race in West Point admissions. And so, again, it's, it seems to me, and this ain't, this ain't a new story for black folk in this country, it just seems to me that when it comes to using race uh, to pick folk to be in the military, to put their lives on the line, to serve their country, uh, at worst to die for their country, I raise this against the backdrop of those three black soldiers that we all uh, sadly saw die days ago. Um, they won't block race in the in, 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 in admissions for military academies, but you can't use it for college admissions. That's my read, Jeffrey Tubin, and I ain't happy about it. How do you read this? Well, um, I, I, l let me give you what tell you what the court has said about West Point in the past, because this this came up historically. 
And they said, and this is Justice O'Connor's position when she upheld affirmative action at the University of Michigan, and 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 she mentioned the the military academies. And what she said was, and what was very interesting in that case, um, th- this is going back to 2003, is there was a brief filed by um, a bunch of uh, very high-ranking military officials, including uh, retired Colin Powell, General Schwarzkopf. And they said, look, West Point is about training leaders of the military. And we know that the enlisted, um, the, the enlisted part of the army is disproportionately minority. And we cannot have, it is against national security to have an all-white officer corps and an all-minority uh, enlisted corps. So we need to be able to use race at West Point so that the officer corps is more integrated. That's the argument that that Justice mm. O'Connor uh, uh, believed in in back in 2003. Now we have this court that is much more hostile to the idea of any consideration of race. And if I can just you know be a lawyer here for a second, sure. this decision that you're, you're referring to uh, about West Point just from a couple of days ago. That's just an interim decision. That's not a final decision on this issue. Mm-hmm. They haven't heard this case yet. So, so they are, uh, for the moment, leaving the policy intact, which is affirmative action at the military academies. But um, that, is, that, that, that is still being challenged, and they will probably decide that for, for, for all time or, or you know, as a final decision um, in the next few months. Yeah, I, I hear the argument, uh, and I read that, of course. Um, uh, I, I'll just say c- creative, but not convincing. <laughs> just, <laughs> Which is often the case. Yeah, creative, but I ain't I, I convinced. I'll leave that there for now. It is an interim decision, but it just tees up for me something to come that I ain't going to be happy about. Uh, if you wipe out affirmative action in, in college admissions, you can't give a brother or sister access to a high-quality education uh, using race as a factor, but you allow it for people to go in the military. I, I got a problem with that. And that's another conversation for another time because I could just talk, you know, ad infinitum, ad nauseum about the way the military now is just reaching out so aggressively to these young black and brown uh, potential uh, uh, enlistees and what that says. That's another conversation again for another time. I digress on that. All right, let me move now toward, toward Thursday. We've talked about the breaking news of today that Trump does not have immunity from January 6th prosecution. Um, so, uh, Jeffrey, as I asked earlier, tee this one up. What is the Supreme Court going to do? What will they hear on Thursday? And when we come forward, we'll talk about it in greater detail. Well, this is really, uh, you know, a, a wild case because, you know, I consider myself a pretty well-informed person about the Constitution. This involves a part of the Constitution that I had never even heard of um, <laughs> until a few months ago. Section 3 of the 14th Amendment says that um, any person, any, any uh, person who would, had engaged in insurrection um, cannot serve in the federal government, in effect. And, and the key phrase is engaged in insurrection. This was uh, put into the 14th Amendment right after the Civil War for the very specific purpose of uh, disqualifying Confederate leaders from serving in high-ranking forces in the federal government. Because just because the North won the Civil War, it didn't mean that they, all those um, Confederates went away and um, so, so the the, um, the the Congress, the Reconstruction Congress, 
wanted to put a provision in that said, if you were engaged in insurrection, you can't serve in the federal government anymore. Mm -hmm. There has been almost no use of this part of the Constitution um, in the in the subsequent 175 years. However, a group of law professors actually sort of excavated this and they and they said, look, Donald Trump engaged in insurrection. He initiated, supported um, overturning the 2020 election and under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment should be disqualified. Now, the way our presidential elections work is that each state decides who's eligible on their ballot. Colorado and Maine have decided, in light of this provision, that indeed Donald Trump cannot be on the ballot for president in their states. And the Colorado decision is the one being argued on appeal on Thursday. So when we uh, come forward, I want to ask Jeffrey Tubin, uh, speaking of Thursday, what kinds of all arguments he expects to hear on Thursday and what kinds of questions does he expect the justices to ask on Thursday? You're listening to Jeffrey Tubin right now on Tavis Smiley. Interrogating and unpacking. That's what we do around here. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Smart talk for curious people just like you. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Smiley. You pretty much already uh, teed this up for me, Jeffrey Tubin. What what do we uh, expect on Thursday in terms of oral arguments? Uh, and what kinds of questions do you expect the justices to throw back at these lawyers? Well, this this is much more of a wild card, Tavis, because uh, there is so little law on what this uh, what this provision of the Constitution means. Um, I expect um, there will be um, a lot of questioning on the word insurrection, mm-hmm. because obviously, when um, the 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 14th Amendment was was enacted shortly after the Civil War, it was very clearly a reference to the Civil War and the South, and the idea that if you were part of uh, the insurre- that insurrection, you couldn't serve um, in, in, the, in the federal government. The question of whether what happened on January 6th and the period leading up to it was an insurrection, and how you define that insurrection, I expect that will come up. Also, I think we'll see questioning about the procedure that Colorado used um, to invoke the 14th Amendment. Um, did they give Donald Trump enough of an opportunity to contest? Um, th- this also comes up. It, it was a court case in Colorado, in Maine, um, which also threw Trump off the ballot. Um, they, uh, the Secretary of State decided on her own that Trump couldn't uh, serve. So the, the procedures for invoking the 14th Amendment. I expect that'll be part of oral argument. But, I mean, it's very rare that the Supreme Court has the opportunity to engage on a subject that they've never talked about or, frankly, thought about before. But this is that much of an obscure part of the uh, Constitution that I am sure um, most of these justices have never thought about it, and they certainly haven't applied it because there's no case law. When we come forward in our remaining moments with Jeffrey Tubin, uh, we'll ask the uh, the penultimate question here, which is how he expects the court to find his side on this case. He offered his opinion earlier on what they will likely say or may say about whether or not Donald Trump has immunity when they hear the case that he's going to appeal. 
the decision that came down today that he does not have immunity from January 6th prosecution. But I'm curious in our remaining moments with Jeffrey Tubin to hear his thoughts on how the Supreme Court will rule on this. Uh, will they allow Donald Trump to be kicked off of ballots in certain states? And if so, what does that mean? It's going to be a hot mess. It already is a hot mess between now and November. Jeffrey Tubin's response to that final question when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. For all the freedom-loving folk, this is Tavis Smiley. I feel like Let's get back to more of Tavis Smiley right now. Jeffrey Tubin, I had uh, uh, Douglas Brinkley on, presidential historian, on the other day, and uh, I was just thinking about him, that Douglas and Michael Beschloss and Doris Kearns Goodwin and all these other presidential historians are going to have their hands full uh, just trying to write about the moment that is. Uh, be fascinating a few years from now to see how history regards this particular moment. Uh, that said, um, speaking of this moment, uh, what do you expect after Thursday the Supreme Court will do after they hear these oral arguments about whether or not he ought to be kicked off ballots in certain states? Well, you know, this is such a blank canvas for the court, you know, because there's been so little here. I, I think um, unlike um, the immunity case, where I do think Trump will lose, I think at some uh, they will figure out a way to say uh, Trump has to appear on the balance in 2024. Yeah. I think they will feel that um, there is something anti-democratic about taking that choice away from the voters. Um, so um, I, I, you know, th- th- this this case is closer than I thought it would be until I started looking into it. Right. I mean, the 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 text of the Fourteenth Amendment sure looks like he should be thrown off the ballot, but um, I somehow think they will figure out a way, or at least the six conservatives on the court will figure sure. out a way to say you have to give the voters that choice. Clearly, I'm clearly I'm no lawyer, um, but I do believe uh, in due process and fundamental fairness and presumption of innocence. Uh, And it seems to me, again, I'm not a lawyer, but it seems to me that unless and until you are found guilty of uh, aiding and abetting or being involved in insurrection, what about due process? What about presumption of of innocence? Uh, What what about those those bedrocks of our democracy? How could they, even if they wanted to, uh, deny him being on the ballot? Well, but but remember the words of the Constitution. It it doesn't say... Anyone who has been convicted of insurrection, it says anyone who was engaged in okay. insurrection. Okay. So, so you know the the the, um, the the they could have said convicted, and then you know this case would be easy. Mm-hmm. But engaged makes it harder. And um, you know, I, I, again, I think there are there are some escape routes for the court to say, well, Colorado didn't follow the appropriate procedures mm-hmm. that. It is that 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 may be um, the way they get out of this, but it, it turns out this case is closer than I thought because yeah. my instinctual reaction was a lot like yours was you know come on let's let the voters decide sure but you know the Constitution says the voters can't make certain choices you know it may be that there is some thirty four year old out there who um, really should be president of the United States and everybody wants to vote for her. But the Constitution says you have to be 35. <laughs> Too bad. Yeah, and, and, and that's the same argument yeah. that, you know, if you engage in insurrection, too bad. I got 60 seconds left in this conversation. Um, I want to make you political just for a quick second. Here. I apologize in advance, but I want to hear your take on it. Uh, and the question is whether or not you think strategically, as I do, that it is, it's bad for the Democrats um, to play their cards this way. Beat him at the polls 
But I think that trying to keep him off of ballots is going to rebound in ways we don't even want to deal with. You know, I, I, I understand that point of view. But, you know, one of the things the Democrats do, I think, a little bit too much is argue with themselves and talk themselves out of fighting. Fair enough. Um, if, if, you have, if you have the opportunity and if the Constitution says what it does say, yeah. maybe you should just fight like <laughs> hell and, and, not, and, and not worry about, you know, oh, someone will think I'm too yeah, mean. Yeah. I'm laughing because uh, I'm laughing because they would. <laughs> they, they exactly they certainly would. <laughs> exactly, that's the point. And they that's had the point. And they have, which is why Merrick Garland is Attorney General and not a member of the U.S. Supreme Court. <laughs> exactly, but but I digress exactly. on that point. Jeffrey Tubin, I appreciate you always. Your insights are amazing to me. Uh, your brilliance is astounding, and I thank you for the opportunity to talk to you, my friend. All the best to you. Thank you, my friend. Bye bye. Take care. More of Tavis Smiley when we come forward.